I'm Amy Shields. I'm Mark Frost. Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. So our Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book, is currently out at bluerosemag.com. It is $19.99, so get your copy today as supplies are very limited and will be running out very soon. So if you haven't got your copy today, go to bluerosemag.com today. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is Brian. Brian. Well, <laughs> it looks like Brian's not here. We are going to have to start the show without Brian. Maybe we can get him on later on. Today, we have Josh Minton from the Red Room Podcast. He's got a book that's coming out not too long for now. I think it's coming out this summer, A Skeleton Key to Twin Peaks Season 3. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Um, Yeah, the book's not out yet, but it is coming. So I thought uh, it would be great to just get together and have a quick chat about it. That's awesome. And I we last time we had you on, you were you you were kind of. Theorizer, you're using the skeleton key to examine the different parts of the new series. Is that how it kind of started for you? It started with uh, just looking week by week with this skeleton key? Yeah. So, you know, back then I didn't want to really focus any time on analyzing what was happening just because it's David Lynch and Mark Frost. So you're never going to know with a first pass, right? But I did want to look at the numbers around how the narratives broke down, like how much time were they spending on each of these narratives inside of each of the parts and then as a whole. And I thought that maybe by looking at those numbers, you know, that would tell, tell me something about, and then, you know, part 18 happened and it just blew everything up. (laughs) The numbers are still fascinating though. They're still really interesting to look at. Um, Now I'm ready to talk analysis. Awesome. And so can you give us like a tour of what this book entails? I can, yeah. So, you know, I think what we'll talk about today will basically be covered in the introduction. So that's going to be exciting. Um, And, you know, I think it's really important that, you know, we start just with humility and gratitude. You know, Mm -hmm. the fact that we all get to come together and discuss something that is as monumentally important to art as Twin Peaks has become. Um, you know, just be thankful for a moment and uh, gracious and humble and uh, respecting each other's opinions, of course. You know, yeah. I, I'm certainly not going to say that this is the only way to think about things, but, but I will say that this has been my experience and, and it's been a journey. You know, I've, uh, I was at one place a year ago before Twin Peaks came out. And now after uh, diving in as deeply as I possibly could into season three, I've come out on the other end, uh, a changed person. Hmm. I'm really amazed by you because, like, 
you were you like Twin Peaks, the the original series one and two, but I when season three hit, it seemed like you just fell in love with this new series, and I, I mean, you seem so passionate about Twin Peaks. Not that you weren't before, but so much more now. It seems like you really, I guess, have a new perspective on on Twin Peaks as a whole. It seems absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think we've we've talked about this before. You know, that was someone else's Twin Peaks season one and two. For me, <laughs> I, I didn't watch it until two thousand and eight. So just to put that in perspective, yeah. um, it, it was a dead show at the time. It had been gone for a long time. I thought it was a, a bit of an anachronism just looking back on where it was in time. It was certainly a cool artistic expression. I'm not saying that in, in any means, but this one, uh, this one hit me right in the gut of Donald Trump's America. I mean, it was like, it was meant for its time and place. That's really cool. What made you decide to do a book? I mean, like, what got you to this place that you said, "Huh, I should, I should write a book about this." It happened after Mark Frost's final dossier. That was a revelation to me. And so, I guess you know, one of the things that you should start with is that I believe that all of the books and the shows and the film, all of those things, should be part of the discussion. I, I don't choose to cut myself off from them and say. That didn't take me in a way I wanted to go, so I'm going to ignore it. You know, I think that's certainly an option for any Twin Peaks fan to do. That's not how I chose uh, to engage with the work. So the final dossier for me was one of the most important elements of, of the canon. Yeah. So you see, you see all the books, the Laura Palmer, the Cooper book. I get. I would guess you can maybe access guide all included as part of the canon of Twin Peaks. I do. And, and despite their discrepancies, and there are many, uh, admittedly so, I think that, you know, it, it, it's almost like a religion in that sense. You know, when you look at the Gospels, for example, there's some contradictory things that happen between them as well. But, you know, any, anyone who engages in any type of religious affair, and I will hold that Twin Peaks has become a religion for many people, mm. you know, it, it is a source of comfort. It is a source of contemplation of good and evil. It is a spiritual release. All of those elements of, of a religion are present here. Uh, you can overlook those discrepancies to find the relief that you need. Yeah, I think that's a great example of the Bible, uh, the Gospels there, how every book had their own interpretation of, of Jesus and things. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it because it's, it's, it's from the point of view of that person. And again, I guess that's what you would look at as the books. I mean, it's the point of view of Jennifer Lynch. It's the point of view of Scott Frost, Mark Frost. And yeah, uh, Tammy Preston, Major Briggs. I mean, these are, it's interesting. That's true. Yeah, you know the the dynamics that you get into when you start to consider different points of view. Yeah. So after after the final dossier, you read that book, and how did you, again? How did it get to you to the skeleton key? Yeah. So well, let's talk about the the piece uh, of the final dossier that did it for me. So there's a, a passage, and I'm actually going to read it. I, I, I paused it out here so I can get it right. So it's on uh, page 121 of the final dossier, and it's where he talks about Judy or Jaude, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it says Jaude. It turns out is also the name of an ancient entity in Sumerian mythology dating back to at least 3000 BC. The name was used to describe a species of wandering demon, also generically known as Utuku, that had escaped from the underworld and roamed freely throughout the earth, where they feasted on human flesh and ripped the souls from their victims, which provided even more meaningful nourishment. They particularly thrived while feeding, and I quote, on human suffering. Hmm. These beings were said to appear in both male and female forms. Jaude indicated the female, and the male was known as Bael. 
And while they were considered beyond dangerous individually, if a male and a female ever united while on earth, the ancient texts claimed their resulting marriage would create something far more perilous, as in the end of the world as we know it. A few centuries later, Bael became better known in both Christian and Islamic sources as Beelzebub, a false god, or as he's known more generically today, the devil. So that was Tandy Preston's words in the final dossier. And when I started to think about what that actually meant, I think this is why many people are uncomfortable with that book and the answer that it just gave. So, you know, we've got this Bael, Beelzebub, which is really close to Bob. I mean, I'm mm. willing to say that that's Bob, right? Yeah. So Bob and Jaude are these ancient walking demons who feed on human suffering. So this is the origin of Garmin Bozia that we just saw. Uh, and we've got essentially yet another love story in Twin Peaks. It's a much darker one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but these are walking demons that must possess hosts, get them to come together, unite in the flesh. And what they produce is supposedly going to be the end of the world, you know, constant human suffering, whatever it is. So, you know, th this to me was was an eye opener. And then you get to the point where you realize that when that atomic explosion happened, uh, it essentially, you know, released not only all of these eggs that were inside of the experiment or what I believe is, is Jaude, right? I think yeah. the, the experiment was Jaude. And, and I, again, go back to the secret history of Twin Peaks for that because he talks about how Jack Carson went out to the New Mexico desert to call forth the moon child. Do you remember that? Section? Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. I want to do a whole show on that sometime. I That's <laughs> fascinating. And so, you know, that happens you know right around that same time and and bob as the bubble i know you were talking with ben about this on last week's show bob in that bubble you know it's almost like a uh, an ovulation a, a, like a demon ovulation or something that's happening there where all these eggs are being released yeah uh, and it's almost like that you know bob and, and jade were trapped again in the underworld and the explosion of the uh, of the atomic trinity bomb actually ripped that open and let him out yeah. and Right. So, yeah, and I, I, look, I definitely look at it as is almost like a ritual. I mean, the atomic bomb what became a ritual that helped open a portal or another dimension. To me, it seems. Yeah, and so you know, we know that Bob Beelzebub went off and possessed Leland Palmer, and we know that you know at the end of the final dossier that one of those frog beetles inhabited Sarah Judith, uh, who became a Palmer. And yeah. so we've got these two male and female walking demons that have possessed human beings that eventually do indeed come together and marry and produce an offspring. And um, this is where it gets fairly uncomfortable because, you know, the, the skeleton key to me is that Laura Palmer is the ultimate evil in Twin Peaks. Whoa. And I think, yeah, I think when you go back and start to rewatch everything, all of these pieces start to fit into place. So, you know, this character that we've been mourning for 25 years, it's funny, considering what Jacoby and, and Bobby Briggs had to say in season one, episode five, do you remember the scene where Jacoby sends Major Briggs and his wife out of the room and yeah. him and Bobby have this conversation and, and Bobby says, Laura wanted to die. And Jacoby says, how do you know that? Because she told me. Right. What else did she tell you? Did she tell you there was no goodness in the world? And check this out, what Bobby said. She said people tried to be good, but they were really sick and rotten, her most of all. 
And every time she tried to make the world a better place, something terrible came up inside her and pulled her back down into hell. It took her deeper and deeper into the blackest nightmare. Every time it became harder to go back into the light. And he said, you know, did you ever have the feeling that Laura was harboring some awful secret bad enough that she wanted to die because of it? And he said, yes, you know, bad, bad enough that it drove her to consciously find people's weaknesses and pray on them, tempt them, break them down, make them do terrible and degrading things. Yes, you know, Laura wanted to corrupt people because that's how she felt about herself. Yes. And then, you know, Bobby admitted that she made him sell drugs and, and we know also commit murder. Right. So, you know, Firewalk with me is essentially the last five days of, of a beautiful young woman who was half human, half demon, struggling with that, you know, nature. It's like the nature of the shark. It's not necessarily evil, but it's what they do. She was built to manipulate people and, and torture people and, you know, harvest this misery from them. And indeed, she was fed on that misery by her parents, you know, uh, you know, whether they were aware of it or not. Leland obviously sexualizing and raping her time and time again. And, and I would say Sarah for just turning her back the other way, if not outright uh, yeah. opening up the door for Leland to do that. It's a horrible and sad uh, state of affair. But I think yeah. that that made things fall into place for me. And in terms of how we get to season three, I, I think that it's very clear that when Laura puts that ring on and firewalk with me, she is submitting to death. Absolutely. Right. Um, and, and when she does that, I think that she becomes Lord and master of the Black Lodge and then sets a trap to get Bob and Judy back together again. And the way she does that is through Agent Cooper. She entices him, draws him into Twin Peaks and whispers lies to him when he's in the red room, wow. you know, that pause, yeah, that pause, that pause <laughs> that he makes in episode 29 of season two was his undoing. And, and he's got this Lancelot complex where he tries to save the princess, you know, that's been said time and time again. And that pause is absolutely exactly what uh, Laura and the Black Lodge needed to be able to put Mr. C out into the world. Uh, and, and what's his mission to get to the coordinates, where are the coordinates, right there in Twin Peaks, potentially right in Sarah Palmer's home, because that's where Judy is. And if he could get Bob and Judy back together again, then they could procreate yet again. So, uh, you know, what we saw in season three was essentially a chess game with, yeah. with poor Agent Cooper being played upon by both sides. Wow. Wow, that's a very dark... <laughs> <laughs> dark but thought it, of it, it, yeah. it is dark, yeah. but there, there's a release in there because it works. You know, the Mr. C's plan fails. Uh, Laura Palmer was ripped out of the Red Room. You know, we saw that happen. I think that that sound, the scratching noise uh, that the giant that Cooper here was also the same sound we heard that she was ripped out of the, the timeline when Cooper went back in. Right. right. So that, that moment, and I think we also see her being ripped out in, in you know, part two, that's all taking place at the same time. I agree. So when he rips her out of the timeline, it also takes her out of the red room because she's not overlord and master. And I think that's really what cleared the way for him to get out. Uh, I, I think that what we were watching there was a loop where she's whispering these lies into his ear year after year after year. Come save me. You're going to save me. You're my mm. savior. And that's exactly what Cooper needed to hear because that's his complex, right? Right. Um, and so... You know, when we get to the final piece where the giant the fireman sends that golden ball back in time, that becomes a placeholder for a tulpa. 
right? And that's yeah. where he where he places Laura. And this is uh this is the theory that was laid out by John Thorne, Arthur, uh what's Arthur's last name? I can't remember his last name, Smith maybe. Um, yeah. you know, that that idea of the trap. I th- I think that's exactly right. But uh, you know, ultimately what it does is it destroys everyone inside of that alternate timeline, including Cooper. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. So he, he was Ultimately, he sacrificed himself for the rest of humanity, and um, you know I think that that leads us to a very bright place where we have a Twin Peaks that you know has been saved from Laura Palmer. Uh, you know her place in history is that she just went missing, and Dale Cooper was able to fulfill his role as savior of the princess. Uh, ultimately, he lost his own life for it, but you know at least Jamie E has her own version of Cooper. If I go with your version of things or how, your theory on things, I can definitely see with Fire Walk With Me where Laura's with Harold and she's talking about Fire Walk With Me and her whole body is changing. She gets white and she you can you know, you can mm. see that she's evil in some ways or, or there's evil with her. And I, I always kind of saw Fire Walk With Me as the devil is with me. Like that fire represents this evil. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I definitely see a very dark side to her. But what about, I guess, with season three where she opens her face and it's light? And a lot of people take that light to be good, you know. Like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think that's I think that's the lie. Uh. <laughs> right? I think I think that's the ultimate lie because that's what we all see when we look at Laura Palmer. We, yes, we've seen that light for twenty five years, and I think that ultimately it is the the lie that gets you right. Wow. To quote Richard Nixon, which is not something I'm used to doing. <laughs> So can you share any more, like, uh, what will people find out through this book? Like, I mean, I think you were sharing with me off off the show there that uh, there's there's different essays that you have in this book. Yeah. And, yeah. So that was everything I just walked through there, and there's a little bit more. Uh, actually, we're going to publish this as an article on 25 years later. Um, Our partners so are good friends there. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And and I, you know, would love to do an audio version if you could use that at some point. Scott Ryan did an audio intro. We'd be happy to, to have you play that at some point as well. Yeah, we would love um, that. That so would that, be awesome. That's just the framework, man. I think, you know, there will be seven to eight essays uh, that are sprinkled throughout. Uh, well, every every part is going to have its own breakdown. So, you know, the, think of a, of a front page, you know, left and right page. It's going to have a nice breakdown of how much time was spent by each narrative, what it means overall, um, what the impact is uh, from, a, from a season three percentage of how much we're doing. And then you get into the actual scene-by-scene analysis where I go and kind of break down what that means in light of that you know exposition we just went through. Laura mm-hmm. Palmer is the true evil in Twin Peaks. That literally changes everything about everything we've ever watched. And so, uh, you know, in many ways, it should send people back to kind of rewatch, if anything, just to, to prove it wrong, which I'm totally fine with. Uh, but it, it is fascinating once you get in there. And then those essays are going to deal with the moral implications of what this means. Listen, I, I, I struggled with this for a long time. I mean, it's, uh, it's hard when you take an icon like, like Laura Palmer, who's been, you know, a, uh, a champion for many people who have felt the same, who've gone through similar things. It's very dangerous to take an icon like that yeah. and suddenly say, she's evil. And so I wanted to proceed very cautiously and with a lot of compassion and humanism uh, for what that means. You know, does it does it totally remove those feelings that people had of consolation from that? I don't think it does. I hope I make a good case for it. It's kind of funny. I mean, except for Firewalk with me, almost 
our whole interpretation of Laura has been through other people. People, you know, like John. Mm-hmm. She helped out Johnny. She helped out Josie. She did the Meals on Wheels. So it's always been other people who has basically told us how good she was. And I think that's always made us maybe feel bad for her and and think she's a wonderful person because of the other people building her up. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> It's it's crazy to think that you know have we been wrong all this time? Has, was she really an evil being? Yeah, yeah, yeah gosh, that it's it's crazy. And I, in season three, we also have the fireman who has a, a an orb of Laura, the the golden mm-hmm. orb. How do you see that fit into that? Because again, the way they're smiling, it seems of love. I think I believe she, um, I can't think what the name of the woman is, but she kisses the orb. Senorita Dido. That's what it's Senorita Dido. So to me, that seems to be a good element, and we're we're led to believe the fireman is good, and so. How does yeah, that and fit? I do, I, yeah. I do. So also going back to that Jack Parsons moment, you know, that concept of the moon child was an Aleister Crowley novel that dealt with um, the battle between magicians in a white lodge and a dark lodge yeah. that was supposed to involve uh, a, a potential birth of an antichrist, is the quote. So I, I do think that the firemen and the one-armed man and Major Briggs and Philip Jeffries were all conspiring together to counteract the plan that had been in, been put in place with, uh, I'm going to call her Dark Laura and uh, Mr. C. So that plan, you know, obviously robbed Cooper of his ability to impact the world positively. It put his worst characteristics out into the world for 25 years. Uh, he amassed an, a massive criminal empire and essentially put the pieces in place to subvert the lodges, uh, let's just call it a defense mechanism of, of being able to pull those people back in every 25 years. Uh, all things considered, Cooper should have been murdered the moment that he stepped outside of that house with Jade. Yes. Right? I mean, right. That, that was the point. Now, the the lodge intervened in several ways. I think, you know, uh, his, his goodness and, and curious nature of grabbing that key out of his pocket, dropping it on the floor uh-huh. was one of the first things that happened. Uh, and I would be interested to see how many of those events happen. Maybe at seven, lucky seven. Yes. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't know. That would be super cool if that were true. Uh, but the you see the white lodge intervene constantly in Cooper's return, right? And, yeah. and so these little moments guide him like a pawn on a chessboard. And so Laura Palmer and the firemen, I believe, are playing four-dimensional chess with people in time and place up to the point of, you know, he knew that when we remove Laura from the chessboard and put her in an alternate dimension, Cooper's going to do what he was built to do, which is save the girl, take her home, and that when he does that, those memories will come flooding back and she will self-destruct and in that timeline, but mm. the real the real timeline will be safe. It's fascinating. It's really something. I, I'm, I'm I de- find enormous relief in that. I really find consolation in that. It's a it's a terrible tragedy. I think on the level of Shakespeare, but I find just something so beautiful about that. Can you share with us uh, what you're going to do with the profits to this book? Yeah. So a hundred percent of everything this book makes, this book makes is going to be donated to the David Lynch Foundation. Wow. Um, there's a couple reasons I'm, I'm going to do that, and uh, a because I want to make sure that everyone understands that this is a labor of love. It is a labor of deep respect and gratitude. 
um, for both Mark Frost, David Lynch, Sabrina Sutherland, the entire you know, dozens and hundreds of people, actors included, that brought this work of art to us to be able to you know have this revelation. And two, because I, I started doing transcendental meditation last year, I've, I've done it about six months now, and it has completely changed my outlook, my life, my the way that I deal with other people in, in every way that's positive. And I think that anyone uh, should be able to have access to this technique, not a religion, not a cult, mm. it's a technique, you know, like brushing your teeth every day. Uh, you basically, you get to push the reset button twice a day. And I think more than ever, in this time and place, we find ourselves in history. Uh, everyone needs a little bit of, of mental space. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's wonderful that you're donating 100% revenue. I mean, that is incredible that you're doing that. And I, to a, I think a good cause, because I do, I do see David Lynch Foundation. I mean, they've helped uh, veterans, and they're out there yep. really helping so many other people use this technique to help their everyday life. So I think that is great that you're doing this. Definitely. I would recommend, you know, anyone interested in this, definitely check out Bob Roth's book. It just came out two weeks ago, uh, Strength and Stillness. It's a fantastic introduction to the, the technique and the benefits of transcendental meditation. And in there, he has a very sobering chapter on the state of our veterans, or, uh, the U.S. veterans that are coming back from active duty and just some of them just cannot insert themselves back into our society. But some of the stuff that's happening with PM and being able to practice is it's miraculous when you look at the numbers of what's happening there. So it's it's a cause that I, I believe strongly. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with us about this book before we go? Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, anyone interested, I am going to be looking at pre-sales here soon. So you can go out to www.twinpeakskeletonkey.com and sign up. I will let you know when it's coming. Your email will be completely protected. I will only use it to communicate with you about this book. Um, you know, you can follow, follow me on Twitter, Instagram at Joshua Minton. I'm all over the Blue Rose Task Force on Facebook if you're out there. And thank you for your support. Thank you, Josh, for coming on the show. It was great having you on. It gave me a lot to think about. I think if Brian was here. Wait, wait, I'm here. <laughs> I just, you missed the whole interview. I just I just got here. Uh-huh. I'm rushing, rushing. I really wanted to hear what he had to say. Right. <laughs> I, oh, my God, I'm out of breath. I, I don't even know who, where I am. What year is this? <laughs> Josh... What, what did I miss? Josh, the big thing that you missed was Josh's theory is that Laura Palmer is actually evil. All right. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> He's gone again. Yeah. Oh, man. It's pretty controversial. I mean, Very. That's, you know, that's controversial. The thing I will say that the, I do feel like there's he makes some good points. And, you know, one of these days I want to get into that whole Moonchild book mm. about, yeah, that it, maybe Laura is, she's like the Antichrist and stuff. So I can see that using some of the stuff that uh, from that book that Mark Frost mentions mm-hmm. in The Secret History of Twin Peaks. Yeah. And there's other things that, of course, that we've seen throughout the work of Twin Peaks where that she's had evil in her because Bob wanted to possess her. But I honestly believe that she is good. And we have to, I, I feel like you yeah. have to believe that there's some good in the world and that we want... That would make Twin Peaks very depressing. It'd be such a downer. What your protagonist in Firewalk with Me would be the bad guy, right? 
That makes no sense. Especially with the angels at the end, I want to believe that she has descended, that she, the, the good mm. in the end did win, even though she had a horrible life. His theory is interesting, and it um, does make you think about other things. I, I don't know if I agree with it, but it makes me think about the interview Scott Ryan did with Ray Wise. And the From Blue, Blue Rose Magazine. Yes. Yeah. Um, shameless plug. Um, where Ray Wise, I'm not going to... Re- tell you the whole you gotta go read it but he mentions about the scene when he kills maddie and scott ryan asks him you know was it bob was it you and lee you know as an actor he thought it was always just leland wow and that's that makes me think about that um that's interesting and i mean that's what he thought because he was an actor in the moment living he's not seeing bob in the mirror we are but if evil it's just something that lives in all of us, along with so there's good. evil w- within Laura. That doesn't mean that she's pure evil. Correct. I I think some of the you know you have bad people and you have good people, but sometimes it's because they struggle, and sometimes the the dark side, the bad kind of outweighs the good, and for some reason they do what they do. You know, so maybe Laura was struggling with that. She had the light, she had the dark, and the dark was was overcoming her. Yeah. Because she had sadness and she was depressed and she had all the odds were stacked against her. Messed up family. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't have a support system to help her out of that. So what do you do? You you have this vicious cycle and she can't get out of it. Yes. I I can't call her the bad guy though. Yeah. A, A product of circumstance and she needed to shovel out of her own shit. <laughs> yeah. I will say we need people like Josh in the world that can see things differently. And yes. I can't wait to buy this book. I can't wait to to support what he's doing. And because I think he has some really interesting ideas. And I really did like that 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 Twin Peaks key that he was working on throughout yes. the season three. Yeah. And so I, you know, even though I don't know if I agree with this theory. I think it's great that he's got sees this and I, yeah. that he shares this with the community and just to see a different point of view is wonderful and I can't wait to to really check this whole thing out. I totally agree. I think and it's for a good cause too. It I is. Mean, it's uh, for a David Lynch's uh, foundation. Yeah. Damn. Um, now I think this podcast is something that our, we started to give platform to people that had theories and ideas, and it's something that. We don't. We have our theories and ideas, but a lot of these people out there, like we have had John Thorne and Joe Bacco, all these people have these great ideas. Yes, and much better than I could. Yeah, ever yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah. But it allows us, me, to think more about these things because they Another will say, right? yeah, different perspective. They'll say one thing that will spark my imagination and my interest in a different direction. But because they said that, it allowed me to go that way, like Josh Mitten's argument about Laura being the bad guy sparks my interest in different ways than he's thinking. Yeah. And that's what's great. I think that's what's really great. And I think Josh Minton has kind of catapulted himself, I would say, up there with this book and what he's doing with the likes of the Joe Bacco, the John Thorne, Scott Ryan. That hurts what? me to say that. Um <laughs> You know, you know David Bushman, all these people. I mean, I think he's very passionate. He's really into season three, and he spent a long time looking into this and yeah, seeing. Yeah, he's done his he's homework. Making connections that I never would have made connections to. Yeah, he he's done his homework, and that proves his passion because 
you could probably counterpoint him and he can counterpoint you. And I think that's what makes it makes him so great at what he's doing. And it, it's worth reading. I'm very excited to read it myself. And, um, I, you know, I'll have to listen to the interview later since I couldn't make it. But Yes. <laughs> Last month, Josh uh, actually did a Red Room podcast and he focused on like the fir- the introduction to the skeleton key to Twin Peaks. And I asked Josh, hey, could we end the show with a snippet of this? But if you want to hear the whole introduction, I, th- I mean, I think he actually spends about maybe 40 minutes wow. uh, just kind of sharing about his book and giving you a little bit. And he, he's put a lot of production value into this. Like, he really did a great job in just oh, putting exciting. this together. So, But he, I asked him, hey, can we end our show and give you a little sample of that? We'll end today's show with Josh Mitten's segment from the Red Room Podcast. If you want to check out the whole thing, go check out Red Room Podcast episode 148 awesome all right ben that's a great episode that i'm sure was great and i missed it um i'll be back for the next one i promise all right i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping you to it you, not, you know there's only so many you're allowed to miss in a year you know? i know i think that's my second one damn it um anyway you can follow us on facebook you can you can follow us on the old Twitter, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. You can give us the old five star and a great review on iTunes. And you can email us with your thoughts, your theories, or your concerns at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. See you next week. Introduction, A Skeleton Key to Twin Peaks by J.B. Menton To introduce this story, let me just say that it encompasses the all. It is beyond the fire, though few would know that meaning. It is a story of many, but it begins with one, and I knew her. The one leading to the many is Laura Palmer. Laura is the one. Log Lady Intro, Pilot, Twin Peaks. The sad implication of the final dossier. The moment my brain made the connection was on October 31st, 2017, Halloween in the United States. I had just finished reading Mark Frost's The Final Dossier when that holy shit moment exploded in my brain. I didn't want it to be right, but the implications were as apparent as the book in my hands. Let's take this slow because it hurts at first. In the final dossier, Tammy Preston has this to say about Jiao Day. Jiao Day, it turns out, is also the name of an ancient entity in Sumerian mythology. This dates back to at least 3000 BC. The name was used to describe the species of wandering demon, also generically known as Utuku, that had escaped from the underworld and roamed freely throughout the earth, where they feasted on human flesh and ripped the souls from their victims, which provided even more meaningful nourishment. They particularly thrived while feeding, and I quote, on human suffering. These beings were said to appear in both male and female forms. Jaude indicated the female, and the male was known as Baal, and 
while they were considered beyond dangerous individually, if a male and female ever united while on earth, the ancient texts claimed their resulting marriage would create something far more perilous, as in the end of the world as we know it. A few centuries later, Baal becomes better known in both Christian and Islamic sources as Beelzebub, a false god, or as he's known more generically today, the devil. The final dossier, pages 121 to 122.